States. Okay. So in 2018, the average American Christian gave 2.4% of their income to their local church. I said, well, that's great. We're so glad the people of God are giving. He goes, no, no, that's not great. You shut up. <laughs> so it's terrible. It's a disaster. He goes, because in the Great Depression in the United States, the average American Christian was giving 3.3%, 0.9% more than we're giving now. And he goes, can you just imagine if our people caught hold of what it was like to actually give 3.3% of their generosity, which was a funny way to put it. But, you know, I feel a little conflicted anytime somebody makes comparisons like that. You know, like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't, want, I don't want you to compare me to who I used to be. I don't want to compare you to who you used to be. I don't want you to feel crappy about whatever it is that you're doing. But on the flip side, I do like to start dreaming. Like, I like to start dreaming, like, if we, if we give God 0.9% more of our heart, 0.9% more of our imagination. If, if we found a way to carve out for the Lord 0.9% of our, of our thinking, of, of our ambitions, of our family life, just think about all that God could do with a little bit more of us. And when we think financially, sure, there's things that God can do financially. We could do ministry training schools. We could do missionary work overseas. We could build Bible colleges. We could do more with our campus and more to bring people in in Jackson. But I, I just want us to think first about what happens when God gets hold of, of more, more of you. And that's the ambition. That's the, the spirit that we want to have here is to say, okay, Lord, whatever I got, it's, it's yours. Whether that's my money, whether that's my intellect, whether that's my time, whether that's my family, I just... I just want to give you more, not 0.9% more, but, but all of it. So today, when you think about giving to God, that's the spirit that we want to have. That's the, that's the, the attitude with which we want to give is, is of worship and allegiance to Jesus. Amen? All right, ushers, you come on forward. Lord, we give to you because we love you, because we believe in you. We don't give because somebody's making us. We don't give because somebody gives us statistics or comparisons. We give because we are worshipers, because we are believers, because we are Christians who have allied ourselves with you and your kingdom for the good of the world and the glory of your name. So we love you and we give with that spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. A couple quick announcements for you. Uh, first of all, after this service at about 1245, uh, I'm going to be over in the stockyard running a short class called West Winds 201. So if you've been to West Winds for a little while and you know all the 101 things, who we are, what we believe, what we're about. And you still have questions about how to get involved, about what kind of stuff you might do, about what your place is at your church. Then come on, hang out with me for 30 or 40 minutes. We'll do our best to answer those questions for you in ways that, that feel really good. Also, if you'll take out your phone and check in for us on Facebook, um, you can use three hashtags, hashtag Westwinds, hashtag Heal the World, and hashtag Make a Difference. Because every time you do that, a charity in our town receives a donation. And the Make a Difference House is started by Wen, uh, Wendy and Rob White, a family from our church, who about 15 years ago bought a home in downtown Jackson and began using that home as a, like a missional outpost. So they run feeding programs out of that home. They run educational programs out of that home. They help people get Christmas gifts. They help people get jobs. And the, when I spoke to Wendy this week, I asked her, what's your favorite part about all of it? And she said, I just love introducing people to Jesus. Because there's people who are never going to come to church, even a church like Westwinds. And so I want to bring the church to them, which I just thought was such a cool thing. So we're going to be shining a light on the Make a Difference House all fall. We're going to be celebrating the Make a Difference House. And by checking in, you'll make sure that a donation goes to them, which was good because we believe in them and we believe in what they're doing. Also, this Wednesday at 6 o'clock at Cascades Park, 
There will be another iteration of Hub Laps. That's a fundraiser for our teen center, the Hub, the student center over on 1825 Spring Arbor Road. So at six o'clock you show up, you can pay $10 and walk around in a circle, or you can show up at seven o'clock and pay $10 and bike around in a big circle, but all the proceeds go to our student center. And if you have no interest at all in exercise, and you want to be fat and still generous, then you can come whenever you want and leave $10 and go to 7-Eleven, get a Slurpee, and still feel really good about at least a portion of what kind of human being you are, and that'd be fine. No one will judge you. They'll be very thankful for your $10. Last but not least, on October the 5th, we're going to have an Oktoberfest fundraiser out here for West Winds, and so all the proceeds of that will go back to the church. It'll be $25 per person. Now, if you are not an Oktoberfest participant, like if you're one of those who does not enjoy the finer things of the Lord, and if you look at something like your and you just feel a little conflicted, I will drink yours. But for the rest of us, 25 bucks gets you two drinks and a bunch of sandwiches. And then, of course, if you're young, we have soft drinks and all that good stuff for you, too. Um, and again, that'll be, that'll be out there. So if right about now you're fantasizing about me being done talking so that you can go home and have a beer for the glory of God. And soon you'll be able to do those two things together. All right? Matthew chapter 17. This, I think, is the weirdest story in the whole Bible about Jesus and money. When Jesus and his disciples came to Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax went up to Peter and they asked him, doesn't Jesus pay the tax? And Peter said, yes, of course he does. And then Peter went into the house and was about to ask Jesus this question, but Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think? From whom do kings of the earth get their taxes? From their sons or from everybody else? And Peter said, From everybody else. So Jesus responded, Then the sons are free. However, so we don't give offense to the tax collectors. Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. So take that and use it to pay the taxes both for me and for yourself. Now, this is a really weird story. Sometimes we read this story and we draw the conclusion that Jesus was amazing because he had power to perform miracles like the ever-important Coin in the fish mouth miracle, which radically altered our faith. <laughs> this is a really weird, weird story. And, and I think the best practice for us is to read the Bible and just kind of imagine it, you know, start see it as a movie in your mind. Imagine what it would have been like to witness all that. Imagine what it would have been like. And I think if I was there, like especially if I was Peter, I would have been totally confused. That's how I would have felt. I'd have been like, really? It's so crazy. And, and you wonder, because you, you, you believe, you know, if the Bible is useful for instructing us and for training us as, as we're told, as we're taught, then there's got to be some sort of application here, right? Like Carmel and I were with the kids, and we're walking around Cascades Park, and I told them this is the story going on that we're going to teach on on the Sunday, and I said, I don't know what to do with it. Like, like part of me wants to go fishing immediately and think about all the things I need. You know, Jesus needed the temple tax. Right? I need money for a new hot water heater. So come on. I feel like I'm playing craps. Like, come on, Daddy needs a new hot water heater. Here we go. You know? And then well, I have $5,000 property tax bill for the chapter house. So come on. Come on, Jesus. Be good to me. Be good to me. Like, it seems so weird. 
And then you realize that this isn't a story about money at all. In fact, the stories about money are never just about money. Because money's not just about money. Money's about your heart. Money's about your identity. Money is, money is about your, your, your sense of meaning and purpose, about wh where you get your trust, where you put your security, about what hopes you have for the future. Money is so much bigger than just money. That's why Jesus tells us wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also because, because what you got to use and where it came from and who you are, all those things are deeply connected. So we think, well, what, what's really going on in this story? And we talk a little bit. Because we know the temple tax was something that got paid once a year. It was paid to the temple authorities, not the Romans. Every good Jew had to pay the temple tax. And it was the same amount of money for everybody. It didn't matter if you were rich or poor. It didn't matter if you were male or female. If you were an adult, you paid the temple tax. And there was a huge theological reason for that. This was one way that over and over again, the, the temple priests meant that you knew you were equal. That all of us had to do our part before God. And, and yet... Somehow, this idea, which seems pretty good, I mean, it's found in the Old Testament, the idea that we all got a little part to do, that God doesn't show favoritism, that feels really good. Somehow, it, it went a little sideways. And instead of being a proclamation about equality, it had become a way to control people, to coerce people, to manipulate people. And it's one of the reasons that Jesus had a real struggle with the temple, with the whole temple establishment. It's one of the reasons that Jesus began to, to chafe against it, to pick fights with those guys over and over and over again because the way they thought about money was crooked. The way they thought about people was crooked. And so Jesus pushed again and again and again because he believed that intimacy with God happens independent of religion. Now that doesn't mean that all parts of all religions are terrible. Clearly, even Jesus himself said, I don't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But knowing God, and that's not about the structures of religion, that, that's about your heart. And the faith that's meant to liberate people, like Jesus himself came to liberate people, was instead being used to, to shackle people, to make them feel small, like they were failing, like they weren't enough. And God opposes everything that enslaves. And Jesus looks out at the great temple establishment and all these people doing their absolute best to try and satisfy the requirements of the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And he goes, this makes me sick. That's why he flipped over the tables in the temple. That's why he compared the temple establishment to a house that's built on sand. It's got no foundation. It's going to fall over. That's why he warned them again and again that God's judgment was coming upon the table. Pardon me, the table, the temple. Because Jesus came to set us free. And the temple wasn't doing that. So just imagine now in your mind, these guys, they show up and they say to Peter, doesn't Jesus pay the tax? Of course he pays the tax. Isn't Jesus a good Jew? Of course he's a good Jew. Do you know what would have happened if Jesus didn't pay the tax? If Jesus' followers didn't would have paid the tax? Under the Roman law, they would have been persecuted, thrown in jail. You know all the stuff that happened later? That would have happened earlier. So, of course, he pays the tax. He's a good Jew. Then Peter goes in to tattle. Hey, Jesus, these guys are back out here. And he asks them this weird question. Who's supposed to pay the tax? The sons? The kids? Or everybody else? Well, everybody else. And then Jesus tells us what this is really about. Then the sons 
are free. The children of God are free. Because that, that's what's really an issue here. Like Jesus knows that if he's his father's son, he shouldn't have to pay for his father's house. And Jesus knows that God's true temple is not the building made of wood and stone. Jesus knows that he's the true temple. And so they're missing the point, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Furthermore, Jesus knows that they're going to keep missing the point over and over again. Instead of shut them up and shut them out, he says, go fishing, which is a nice way, I think, of saying pound sand. You know, go fishing. Um, you'll find something in a fish's mouth. Go ahead and give it to him, which is anything but a resounding endorsement of taxation. I mean, whatever you say about it, it's weird. It's like Jesus telling them to chase their own tail. And then he says, Peter, when you go and look in the mouth of the fish, you're going to find enough money for you and me both. Because Jesus isn't the only son of the king. Because you are, too. See, who, who, who's free is you. And the reason you're free is because you've been adopted, loved, claimed, and secured by God. We're told that we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus. Galatians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 1, Romans 8, Romans 9, Romans 12, over and over and over again, the Bible makes it clear that you and I are children of the king. So Jesus says, the children are free. And now you're going to find in your life all kinds of people who are telling you you're not free, often religious people. They'll come to you and say, no, 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 yeah, you're free, but you still owe. They'll come to you and say, yeah, you're free, but there's still a few things you got to do to make sure you earn your keep. You're free, but by free, we really mean free to follow the rules. And it seems to me a great confusion about what the word freedom actually means when freedom means a bunch of new things you have to do. And this is funny. I, I was laughing about this because I Googled if we are sons and daughters of the king, and if, like the Bible proclaims over and over and over again, we have freedom in Christ, what does it mean to be free in Christ? What freedoms do we have? So I Google it. That's what every good preacher ought to do, you know, because you'll, you'll see something dumb and it'll make you mad, and then you'll have something good to say, you know. Um, so I Google it. What, is it. what are our freedoms in Christ? And by far, the number one answer I saw again and again and again is we have freedom to always do what is right. Well, I am clearly screwing this up badly to always do what is right always always do what is right always do what is right and then the second one we have freedom to obey and then my absolute favorite because i saw this in five or six different places we have freedom to listen to our pastor <laughs> and i was tempted to hang on to that one for a little while i thought well i just see how far i get you know in essence, when you read all those things, it seems like a terrible misunderstanding of freedom because it sounds like freedom to just do all the things you're supposed to do, shut up and enjoy it. And that, that doesn't seem at all like freedom to me. And what we're told in the New Testament, it was for freedom that Christ set us free, no longer to be subject to a yoke of slavery. So, so what kind of yoke did we just trade? Did we just trade the Old Testament law for some new, you know, American Christian law, because that sucks. Do, did, we t did we trade away our identity in Christ, the, the sense that we've been liberated, equipped, called by God, empowered, filled with God's, we trade that away for a, a bunch of new do's and don'ts? And yet we do this all the time, man. 
We allow ourselves to be shackled by rules and regulations. And please don't mishear me. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that there's no such thing as right and wrong. That would be a very dumb thing for me to say and an even worse thing for you to believe. I just think that at the root, true freedom entails the power to choose. You get to choose what to do. And there's five freedoms. At the very least, there's probably 35 freedoms that we could discuss, but for this morning, five, because that'll keep you awake. Five freedoms that I think are really critical, and one of them is financial freedom, meaning you get the freedom to choose what you do with your money, where you invest it, how much you give, and what it's for. That's, that's freedom. Like if somebody tells you you have to uh, tithe 10% of your money, that doesn't feel like freedom, that feels like law. If somebody says to you, you know, they used to give 3.3% uh, in the Great Depression, but now you only give 2.4, you filthy degenerate, so go ahead and sign up online to give that extra 0.9%. That doesn't feel like freedom, that feels like, that feels awful. But for you to decide that you get to give your money, like Keith in the video saying, I decided to start, I gave him my first eight bucks because who carries cash anymore? And, and we started to give a little more, a little more. He's responding to what God is saying to him. That's, that's freedom to respond. To say we're going to give money to missionaries. We're going to give money to our church. We're going to give money to charities. We're going to give money to those in need. We're going to give groceries and, and help to the people who don't have any. That, that's freedom. You get to do whatever you want with your money. You get to choose because you're free. And Carmel and I were talking this week about you know, our financial situation, and we've had all kinds of nonsense and, you know, hospital bills and medical bills and all this crazy stuff, and so we said, okay, time to rethink the family budget, and we jokingly said, you know, the first thing we could do is we could stop giving, ha, 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 and then we realized, of course not, of, co of course not, why would we ever stop that, that's the thing we get to pick to do, nobody makes us give our money away, nobody knows how much money we give because it's none of their business, we get to choose to give it away, and we love it, and we could reduce it, or we could give more, you know who gets to decide? Us. You know who gets to decide in your life? You. You want to be generous? Go for it. Go for it. That's what freedom is. It's, it's you getting to choose what you're going to do. And there's, of course, a great spiritual freedom. That'd be number two. You know, spiritual freedom means pressing into your identity in Jesus. Because you got all these old things shackling you. The shame, the guilt, the sense of confusion about who you used to be and what you used to do and all that stuff, it, it, it rears its ugly head in your mind or in your heart. And you get to choose to tell it to shove off, to ignore it. You get to choose to silence those voices in your mind. So even today, you know, I, we, the music was going on and at, at the earlier service, you know, I started lifting my hands. And as soon as I did that, I had this memory of being a worship leader and I was leading worship, and there was a lady in the front row, and she lifted her hands. And after church, I said something to my grandmother. I said, that was so cool that this lady was responding to, you know, the movement of the Holy Spirit. And she goes, well, yeah, of course. I mean, it was that part of the song. <laughs> That's what my grandmother said. Of course she responded at that part. The music got loud. The lady was helpless. She... So now, like that's 20 years ago. Now, 20 years later, every time I lift my hands, I go, is it the part of the song? <laughs> that, that I don't know what to do, you know, and I get all. And so you got to, in those moments, you know, you catch yourself, you're worshiping, and then you hear that little accusation in your mind. You get to choose to say, you hush, Grandma. <laughs> you hush your mouth. And it's not just with trivial things, but with big things. 
You'll be trying to move forward in your life. You'll be trying to move forward in your education. You'll be trying to move forward in your career. And little voices will pop up and say, don't you know, you, you're just not good enough. You, I mean, you're stupid. You never had this. You, you didn't come from nothing. You're never going to be anything. You're just being uppity and, and, and pretending. And you get to choose not to listen. You can choose to say hush and be free because you are a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. And that's a clear juxtaposition, right? Who do the kings of the earth collect their taxes from? Kings of the earth sounds so small when you're talking to the king of the world, the king of the universe, the king of all time, the king of all creation. What power do the kings of the earth have in comparison to the majesty and might of our God? Not much. Careful, I'm preaching. Look out. I'm going to fog up my fake glasses. <laughs> Number three. In addition to a spiritual freedom, you got a liturgical freedom. You can choose how you want to worship. You can choose whether or not you're going to be demonstrative, whether or not you're going to be quiet, whether you're going to be reflective, contemplative, charismatic. You can pick whatever you want, man. There's no wrong way to worship God and give your heart to him wholeheartedly. And so you might want to go to a Baptist church, and you might want to go to a Catholic church. You might want to go to a mainline church. It doesn't matter as long as you come into the presence of God and you focus your energy on him. You set your mind and heart on things above. Who cares what music they're singing? It's just preference. It's just choice. And you get to choose, so enjoy it. But don't get weird about it. That's when our freedoms sour. And so we never want to be a place where we stand in judgment on other people. Man, if they're worshiping Jesus, we're on the same team. We never want you to feel weird. I mean, maybe you're on vacation, you're visiting us, you go back home, your pastor's ugly. Oh, I wish I had that handsome pastor from Michigan. We don't want you to feel bad. I'll send him a pair of glasses. He'll fix everything. No, you, you got to know, you get the freedom to choose. And with that is the recognition that there's a bunch of other stuff, and none of them's perfect, and none of them's perfectly right. You might go on one day and it might not be your cup of tea. But what's our choice is to worship Jesus regardless. To worship him regardless. What am I on? Number what? Number three? Was that number three? Or, yeah, that was number three. Number four. Um, you get to choose. You have a, a domestic freedom. You get to choose how you run your house. Um, will both people in the home, both adults in the home, if there are two adults, will they both work? Does somebody need to stay home? Who should do the chores? Who should cook the meals? How should you raise your kids? How much TV should they be allowed to watch? Should you give them an allowance? Is it okay to go on family vacation? Is it okay to play soccer on a Sunday? All those, you know who gets to answer those is you. You get to pick how your family runs. Some families are really regimented. You know, the kids come home at a certain time. They get to do homework for a certain amount of time. Then they got to practice music for a certain amount of time. They go to evening activities. You know who gets to decide if that's okay? Them. You might home, come home, and there could be all the neighborhood kids in your house floating in out, eating you out of house and home, goldfish crackers into every sofa cushion. You know who gets to decide if that's okay? Is you. And there are so many people around you, so many tax collectors, so many religious professionals who will tell you there are specific wrong ways and specific right ways that you must govern your home. Uh, I read that book. I didn't see those guidelines. You give your life to Jesus. 
You invite Jesus to penetrate your life, to flow out of you, and you make him the center of your home. And the specifics, man, they're up to you. They're up to you. Because you've got freedom to decide how your home is going to be. Last but not least, I think there's a vocational freedom. You get to pick which job you have. You get to pick which career you're going to go into. You get to pick which school you're going to go to. You get to pick whether or not you do a master's degree, whether or not you do a bachelor's or a doctorate. You get to pick whether or not you go to trade school. You get to pick which idiot you're going to marry. You get to pick all kinds of stuff. Because the will of God has great latitude, and we get really worked up. Oh, man, should I be a doctor or should I be a lawyer? Should I go to trade school and become an electrician, or should I just work with people in a non-for-profit? God wants you to pick. He gives you tremendous freedom for you to decide what's best for you. Not selfishly, but as a mark of your dignity, as a person made in the image and likeness of your creator, as a son or daughter of the king, you get to pick because you're free. Well, like Jesus said in John 8, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It, freedom might actually be better than what we guessed. Freedom might actually be good where you actually, you know, are free to make some decisions. Now, maybe there are certain things, of course, that, you know, you're not going to choose, you're not going to decide if you follow Jesus, but the great truth of loving and serving Jesus is that he lets you make up what you're going to do. He lets you cooperate with him and serve him in all aspects of your life. So that's the real meat and potatoes of this strange story of the fish and the coin. It's not really about the money. It's about whether or not you're free. About whether or not you still got to do a bunch of stuff to prove that you're good or whether you can have confidence in the identity of the king. The one who adopted you. The one who chose you. The one who elevates you. And if you're like me, that's hard to remember. Like most days, I don't feel super free. I'm going to have to get up really early tomorrow morning and start working all over again. And that doesn't feel free. That feels like something I got to do. And there's a lot of things upcoming in the next coming weeks that I have to do that I'm not free to do, not unless I want to be unemployed or lonely or sad. Or, I mean, there's just stuff you got to do. But once a week, we come together to remind ourselves there are freedoms that we have. And, and again, if you're like me, there's probably lots of the moments in the week where you don't feel like a son of the king. You don't feel like royalty. You feel like crap. You don't have all kinds of people catering to your whims. You don't have all kinds of resources to play with. You, you just feel tired and poor. But once a week, we come together to remind ourselves that God has claimed us, that God has called us his own, that God has put his spirit inside of us, gifted and equipped us, made us heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so when we come together, that's what we're celebrating. That's what we're remembering is who we are and whose we are. And today we're going to do that through the sacrament of communion. My friends and I will be up at the front of the church and you'll come down the aisle We'll hold out the chalice to you, and you'll dip the wafer inside of it. And we'll pray for you. Pray that you are reminded daily that you belong to God, that he's given you freedom because you're one of his kids. Amen.
Amen. You come as we sing.